0: Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. This episode is about relationships, but to explain it, I'm going to use the analogy of digestive problems and foods. If you struggle with IBS or gas and bloating and such, and you want to get better, you've got to become aware of your sensitivities, what foods help and hurt you with relationships. It's no different. Some relationships are glorious and some cause you discomfort. If not flat out pain to have peace, you must know your personal and relational priorities and values. So you can create a sustainable menu that produces good results. This is one of the things I got from talking again with humble, the poet, about his values, motives, and habits. That's this episode. And he discussed how a priority in his relational health is having clarity of his own priorities and values when it comes to the relationships he invests in. Some other aspects of his values that we covered spiritually, his focus is minimizing lust and greed, anger, attachment, and ego. He said he doesn't want to arrive at death safely, but to live life on the edges. I relate to that. He views movement as medicine and of intrigue to me was he labeled his life as a writer where he sits still for such long periods of time is not as healthy as that as say a bartender who's always on the move, lifting, bending, and reaching. And I now have to deal with this concept of being a writer, uh, which I'm not sure I appreciate. Humble consistently sees a therapist. So he's getting counsel from someone who is not a stakeholder in his life. I thought that was a great way to put it. He doesn't participate in social media much himself. He has a team do it for him. And as a full-time artist, he discusses his pursuit of slow art that's better for his soul and ultimately more lucrative. You can find Humble's new book, How to Be Loved Anywhere, and find him and all his social media at HumbleThePoet.com is his website. Hey, thanks for tuning into this self-helpful podcast. It would be a gift if you left a review. The best gift is just keep the conversation going. Talk about what you hear today from humble with someone else. You can always find me, connect with me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Next up, humble the poet's values, motives, and habits. I'm looking at this list that I always go through with every guest and now I'm seeing it through the filter of, uh, our last conversation and love and Mm-mm. as pathways, uh, of love. I may, I may do an exercise and go through these again and go, how, what is the pathway here as opposed to the thing, the mm-hmm. whatever. And we start off with spiritual, um, and, and asking you about your values and you speak to this to in your book, you had a couple lines that I really appreciated, on the difference between spirituality and religion. And I'll yeah. you know, admit that a lot of my own journey through life was in a religious context as that, that thing, the thing instead of maybe that's a pathway, how much more healthfully would I have been on that journey? I think if I had looked at it that way, so, but let me put that to you. So tell me about the, uh, the spiritual values that I know are a part of your life.
1: Yeah, I I grew up in a in a in a in a Sikhi household. Sikh. Um S I K H means student. And um, you know, we have we have we have gurus, you know, G U R U and GU means dark, ru means light. So a guru or you guys say guru is you know somebody that takes you from dark to light. So you know the 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 main tenets of Sikh philosophy, and I look at Sikh as a philosophy or heritage. Many do look at it as a as a, a structured religion, um, but the the main philosophy behind it is your your lust, greed, anger, attachment, and ego. You know, pull you away from peace. You know, these are these are a part of you, and be aware that whenever you're not at peace, it, it relates back to your lust, greed, anger, attachment, and ego. Um, and then you know we're 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 commonly commonly known for for you know having turbans and beards and 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 and, and our appearance and, and and that has a lot to do with the the the, the socio political climate at the time where right. we were um, you know we're we, you know my the language of my, my, that my family speaks is Punjabi uh, Punjab is a state in both India and Pakistan, because, you know, that used to be one country, and then when they broke up, they broke up in the middle of Punjab. So half of Punjab, mm-hmm. a bigger half went to Pakistan, another, and the other part went to India. My parents grew up in the India part, and uh, Punj means five, odd means rivers. To be from Punjab means to be from the five rivers, because um, there's five rivers flowing there, um, a big agriculture state. And um, Punjabi six represent 2% of all of in India. Wow. So, you know, yeah, so we're we're heavy... Well, I mean, it's still a big number because India's got a lot of people, but uh, it's a it's a we're a heavy minority there, and 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 the reason I bring that up is uh, pretty much the culture that I've grown up in is you're a minority everywhere you are. Yeah, you know, so not seeking safe spaces, but seeing the beauty in 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 existing in in places where um, the simple act of existing is going to be a challenge to to some. Um, common ideal or, or the status quo um, requires you to be much more affirmed in your own belief system. Um, so for me, you know, Sikh philosophy is, is really me being a lifelong learner and a student of life and um, recognizing how quickly, you know, these types of ways of lives can can turn into templated religion full of do this, don't do this. And, right. I mean, life's exhausting. I don't blame anybody for 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 sticking to any script if it if it means less brain power on a daily basis just to figure out what what life is. Um, and I think for me, you know, the six scriptures aren't very prescriptive. They're much more observations or, or love letters to the, to the divine. Um, so it really is looking at things through the lens of your lust, anger, greed, attachment, and your ego, and realizing that oh, okay. Let's, you know, and I'm talking about, I, I was learning about this when I was a kid. So I'm learning about lust, you know, during, you know, when I still thought girls had cooties. So it was like, you know, it took, it took, it took a time for me to, for this to start to really make sense to me as I got older. And, um, you know, realizing that, you know, the, the biggest one being ego and e- ego here being defined as uh, one of my favorite definitions of ego is, uh, um, everything that you're not. Yeah. You know the 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 membrane that separates the drops in the ocean, you know what makes me feel like i'm I'm separate from you and everything else in this creation uh is my ego and and that separation is is such a deterrent of peace um so that's that's what that's where it is and you know this is Eastern philosophy, so it's not you know as I said it's cyclically based to where I think a lot of western philosophy is linear
0: mm-hmm.
1: Western philosophy is do this, do this, do this, and at the end heaven or hell reward punishment um whereas in eastern philosophy uh hinduism sikhi uh, buddhist philosophy is very circular reincarnation seasons what have you uh, endless kind of being on an endless journey and you know some of them promising to break you out of that cycle um and that's kind of how i view life uh as a circle more than a line, and um that that's that's the basis of kind of a lot that I learned and then also, but being born and raised in Canada, my parents came to Canada and then I was born in Canada, um, being born in the West, um, connecting with, you know, you know, you, I'm growing up celebrating Halloween, getting, you, you know, school off on Christmas and right. understanding that world and um, taking a deep take, you know, as I got older, taking, taking a lot of interest in that just to understand because, you know, the world is heavily, based on 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 western ideals sure and um you know the bible being the most successful piece of literature on our planet and i think one of the most collaborated pieces of -hmm. literature as well so you know i I, i've taken time to study the bible and understand christian theology as well um and i think it's it's been really interesting to kind of explore these ideas of collective wisdom that exists within us as humans um whether we know it or not and i and i look at a lot of uh spiritual texts as that you know there's there's wisdom that comes from this especially when we aggregate it all together um whether those who are sharing it were even aware of the wisdom at that time and uh, i think there's a beauty to that when it comes to our to to us as humanity
0: Well, you make a great line that has been prominent to me as of late, specifically of, I paraphrase a little bit, but the script of religion requires less brain power because you're right, man. I want to wake up in the morning. Man, I want religion in every area of my life. Just tell me what's going to eat to make me perform best. What should I listen to? How should I work? How no, should that. I exercise? What spiritual belief? Just I want the black and white. And it's amazing. I joke about it. It's a painful joke of, oh my gosh, man. Yeah, I'm 52. I'm, I'm Back in my 20s, it was awesome to be so certain about everything. Uh, and have my black and whites.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: now I'm not now I'm having to use more brain power to consider as you talked about the collective wisdom and aggregating that all together and the spirituality place. But obviously for you, not only from your upbringing, but even in the work that you do and in the gosh, in, in the effort to elevate humanity, which is the only reason you write a book on, on love. Uh, I see that that to me, the undergirding, aspect of spirituality is devoting to a larger purpose. And that's what drew me to you. Even as I saw your million followers and whatnot, that that seems, uh, kind of back to your analogy in the first talk we did of a hammer that you can build a home or bash somebody's skull. And I saw you fervently building homes.
1: Yeah. This morning I, I read a post, um, from an artist that I, that I admire, um, Going back to this idea of script and religion, there's, yeah. there's, there's, a, there's an artist by the name of Bronx, he's a photographer, and I feel like he would be the, the greatest preacher if art was turned into a religion. He, he would be our, our, our main preacher.
0: Huh.
1: And he goes, instead of, he goes, you know, and he's challenging the idea of people unplugging from social media and saying, instead of unplugging, he goes, look, instead of framing social media as this place you go to for validation, he goes, reframe it, retool it as a place that you can go to uplift your community. Hmm. And I think that was something really interesting and as I've been thinking about my purpose um uh, I think it was Rory Vaden um I think he's a he's a, he's a motivational business guy. He's coach. been
0: on the show. Yeah.
1: Oh yes, okay. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he's awesome and I heard him recently say, you know, you are best equipped to serve a former version of yourself. And hmm. I, and I think about that a lot. Um now that I move forward as I try to figure out, you know, instead of being like, well, what's going to work? What's going to be more engaging? What's going to sell a bunch of books? It's like, well, what do I need to know? You know, who, and by the time I'm, 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 I, I gain more insight, you know, I'm serving a former, former person, uh, version of myself, but knowing that everybody else is in the same boat, you know, we're all connected with, with these same challenges and problems. And, um, I think, you know, there's, you know, I'm not anti, Dogma religion. I, I think what, I, what what I'm realizing is, especially now, is you know we we can exist in, in in order or chaos, and I think you know too much order is stifling and imprisoning, and too much chaos is overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's about having one foot in, in, into the order, one foot into the chaos. And as I said, everything can be a prescriptive religion at this point. You know, from a a workout regimen to, uh, you know, the way somebody approaches dating, or to to the way somebody, you know, approaches a morning routine, or what have you. And um, best practices exist for a reason, and um, and I think that's that's really important. So I never I never want to discount the value of any prescriptive religion, especially ones that have existed for thousands of years, you know, there's, there's some level of resonance there. Um, but I think that that should not make them, um, immune to, to kind of being viewed with a critical eye, um, to ensure that people who were speaking or writing these kind of insights at a time before electricity, you know, uh, we have to revisit their words and and, and, you know, there's a universality to human nature, but there still needs to be some level of pragmatism when we approach this stuff.
0: You in the first, our, our first discussion talked about, you know, the power of being alone, being able to be alone. And of course I, my first go to always is Pascal, you know, who said, I always misquote it, but you know, in essence, one of our primary downfalls of man was, is not being able to sit alone in a room for 15 minutes. And he said this in like, you know, 500 AD or so. I don't know, whenever it was was such a long time ago. I mean, the next one here is relationships. I mean, that's what your book is about. It's about love and primarily in the context of relationships. Now you do a good job of, you know, saying these are all, and as we go through these pieces, these are all pathways to love as you talk about. And we discussed right at the end of the last show. Um, But on relationships, it almost seems like too big a question to ask it of you, but you know, your values, what's top of mind when I, so to ask you at this point now where you've you've evolved to, you've just written a book on love. Would you say are the highlight values that you have when you think of relationships with others?
1: Um, I think, you know, the umbrella term for me probably would be common priorities. I think, you know, entering any type of relationship, whether it's a work relationship, me and you are engaged in a relationship right now, you know, to do this episode and it's only going to work. If we have common priorities. Um, hmm. Same thing with, you know, romantic relationships, same thing with friendships, same thing, you know, with any relationship in any capacity. So I think for me, recognizing that that means in, you know, as you said, like in terms of values, like knowing your priorities, knowing your values and
0: going deeper and recognizing that. So, you know, would you even interchange or, those though, humble? Just, I mean, are you talking about that? Because if you're asking me my priorities, you're asking me my values. Right, is it semantics? Or, yeah, no,
1: okay. I, 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 it could be semantics. I guess. Okay. Yes, I guess. I think you're absolutely correct, and I think you know I, what I'm what I'm getting to is the the work necessary to recognize those. Yeah, I think very often we kind of say our values and they're often the same things because you know it's almost templated and we don't actually ask ourselves like well well, what about these are valuable (laughs) and values um and i think for me so you know so for example i think one thing that's extremely unique to me um and and this is something that i discovered through therapy is that you know I'm, i'm a wordsmith i put words together so high having a very highly effective communicator is extremely important to me. Um, understanding and acknowledging that men and women communicate differently. And any memory I have of a woman who was a straight line communicator to me is actually somebody who's had to adjust and, and, and learn to communicate in a man's world. And if I wanted to show more respect for women and their autonomy, um, it's on me to learn how to read between the lines and pick up on cues and understand that I'm fine doesn't always mean I'm fine. Whereas for me, you know, I'm I'm going to say it how it is. And having this conversation with my therapist is like, look, you have to do the work to better understand and uh, communicate with women. But at the same time, because you are you and you're a professional writer and you put language together for a living, you should still... You know, be very selective with the type of communicators that you're around, and we should prioritize people who are at an eight or nine or ten out of ten in the communication space. Hmm. Um, and I've seen that, and it, and it's unfortunate because you don't want to hold that against people. Sometimes I was I was seeing somebody English wasn't their first language, but I but it it was a challenge, and I and I even told myself I had if I had to speak their language, I wouldn't be an effective communicator either. But at the end of the day, none of that empathy changes the challenges that are happening on a day-to-day basis and, and, and the microaggressions that come from not understanding each other, spending so much time just trying to figure out what's being said versus even getting to the topic at hand. Um, so for me, that is a value for me, um, you know, uh, high levels of communication is a, is a, is a big value for me. Um, you know independence is a, is a huge value for me um if i was to start a, a family with somebody i always i i, I and, and this is because in my family i i have uh i have a family member who went through a divorce and it wasn't it it, it was because you know their partner uh had a mental health issue mm. so it went from a beautiful relationship of 10 years to like descending within months and um, they didn't have The logistics in place for that divorce immediately and um thinking about that thinking about if that ever happened to me if something you know if the wiring in my brain went a certain way the last thing i'd want is a partner who is completely financially dependent on me to have to figure out how to sort things out knowing that sometimes the laws aren't even in their favor yeah um so having somebody you know i say somebody with their own opinions and their own money you know these are things that i specifically value and again i've you know, I'm in Los Angeles, where a lot of guys want the exact opposite. They want someone to depend on them. They want some arm of candy. They want someone to to kind of highlight who they are as an accessory. Uh, I think for me, if I'm building something with somebody, I want the opposite. I want I want a pillar. I want to be a pillar, and I want another pillar, and I want us to be strong. And the further away we can be from each other, the more we can hold up. Um, so these are things that I realized slowly. And and one of the activities that I did with my therapist for that was reliving my entire love life, and her. Taking note of when my face started to glow, like ooh, that's important to you. Okay, you know, um, one of my other core values is um, experiencing life, experiencing life on its edges. You know, I I, the the idea is I don't want to arrive to death safely. You know, I want to be a, I want to be a baseball glove. You know, I want to be beat up, worn in, used. You know, worn out. You know, by the time it's it's all said and done, Um, I don't you know, I don't need to play it safe. And I don't, you know, irrespective of people's beliefs after you're gone. I don't think whatever I'm doing here is I need need to keep it with me in my pockets. So I think that idea of experiencing life on its edges, putting myself in uh, voluntary uh, discomfort. What I'm learning from a friend right now, an, an artist friend is a voluntary torment. You know, voluntarily putting yourself in in, 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 tor- in, in, in torment and, and exploring that, um, I think, is a really interesting kind of concept and idea as well. Um, and I can see how th- that can also lead to more gratitude when you yeah. voluntarily put yourself in, in, in unpleasant situations. Um, it allows you to appreciate what you have while you have it.
0: I, that sounds like the, I'm, right, I'm, I'm trying to find the author, The Comfort Crisis um, mm. by Michael Easter. Yeah, where he okay. talks about the value of that and how we've hurt ourselves by being a, as you talked about earlier, uh, a culture that's seeking out comfort. He said, man, mm-hmm. we're missing the beauty of the discomfort. But what you said on relationships, humble, makes me think to your statement on pathways that you're going to resonate with people in relationships who have similar pathways. Um, like you said, of communication. I was thinking about that and, you know, we could go down the list. I mean, it's kind of like the personal is that it's what you do, your interest, but you're saying, these are the pathways that I experience love and life. And for me, it's going to be, you know, outdoors and athletic and spiritual and whatever. And without that, not to diss the person, but we're going to have a hard time resonating though. You also have me thinking about, it could be different vehicles. Like we talked about in the last one where I experienced this on a mountain bike. It's, I don't need to just hang out with mountain bikers, but I'm going to tend to resonate more with people who have a similar experience, even if it's on a different modality. Um, pathways, man, I, yeah, you've really got me thinking on that. Well, health and wellness is the next one. And you mentioned a second ago that you do appreciate, you know, best practices and morning routines and whatnot. So tell me about health and wellness and the values you've got there.
1: Yeah. So first one is uh sunlight over blue light. So I have to, I have to, I have to kiss the sun before I look at my phone. Um, so I have, I have a little puppy, so that just requires me to take her out for a little walk around my building. Um, and she's super calm and well behaved. So I can, we can just walk around my building without a leash and we don't have to cross any streets and she's completely safe. And doing that without my phone, kind of just kinda getting myself a little bit more grounded um, is, is super important to me because I know the moment I, I pick up the phone, um, even with minimal uh, notifications on it's in, in, in it's an instant pull of my priorities and what I, what I want what I want to do so that's really important um in in um you know in 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 terms of health and wellness as well in terms of eating you know i generally start my day off very well cooking my own breakfast and a bunch of egg whites and and, and broccoli and it's healthy and everything's good and then by the end of the night it's, we're, you know we're we're in a right off territory as <laughs> as a single guy who lives by himself and right. has limited bandwidth and attention and as an artist who you know to who gets caught into flow sometimes and you, you come out of that and you're like starving and you can right. feel your ribs touching all of a sudden you're like do i have the patience to cook something but um uh, i i you know i think i i i i can put two and two together that um if it tastes really really good it's probably not good for me um and my taste buds uh you know I have a I still have a very simple palette of taste buds and enjoy fast food every now and then, but I try to stick to uh to the healthier stuff so out here we got a, a spot called sweet greens, which is kind of this overpriced salads, but they're really good and uh takes the thinking out of it so that that generally becomes a dinner um and then I've hired a trainer I have a personal trainer I don't rely on personal discipline to work out so he shows up there's a gym in my building and um i love working with him because more than anything he makes me laugh Mm. he's such a funny guy he's not intense in any capacity um and um we focus a lot on core Mm -hmm. so we do we spend a lot of time on core understanding that that's the you know the, the the main the main foundation of everything and then focus on core i do i, I do some boxing and i and work out but um i'm a i'm a big proponent that movement is medicine mm. and uh you know so that's in those struggles you know as a writer you're already not um moving a lot you know it's not a not as healthy as a lifestyle as say you know somebody who's a bartender who's constantly on their feet moving around, or even when I was a teacher was constantly moving around. Um, I have a standing desk. I don't know if you can see it up there. I work up there there's a standing oh, yeah. desk right there, yeah, so I have a standing desk. uh I do believe sitting is the new smoking, so I try to avoid it as much as possible. I am sitting for this interview, but uh, in general, I'm standing when I work um, and got a puppy, so a lot of long walks in my community are uh, there's a big park across the street from my house here in North Hollywood and uh, I uh, I have a big community of dog dog people and just as you said you know some people love dogs some people don't and uh, I love it when people invite me places and I ask them if I can bring the puppy and they're like well we only want her there but you got to be there too <laughs> versus some people are like oh I'm no, not sure if No you can bring owners the puppy. allowed yeah Yeah no owners allowed like we're just, you know y- you're you know bring her you know if she could drive herself we would have invited her directly and it's like i you know again that's something that matters to me it's you know my personal belief is either you uh you know there's only two kinds of people people who love dogs and people who haven't had a dog Mm. and um but uh yeah having you know having a relationship with something beyond yourself especially an animal i think is is beautiful uh, for me so that that is definitely a value and it gets me moving and she is very popular she has a a list of babysitters that want to babysit her even when i don't need her to babysit Mm -hmm. i recently i I was in london for the past week i got back a few days ago and um they wouldn't give her back i got got two more days without her and i realized in those two days i didn't leave my apartment i didn't go outside like she keeps she keeps me going outside Uh, she keeps me active she keeps me social so um And I think that's really important. I think it's really important, especially in a city like Los Angeles, which is, uh, you know, it's not a, it's 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 spread out. It's it's heavily populated, but it's spread out. So there's not like there's there's no city center to Los Angeles, Um, and everybody lives in their cars. So you don't see people on the streets. So in order to be social, you need excuses to be social, and and having a dog has been a massive. A massive impact on my social life, just in terms of making friends, and it's great because there are a bunch of friends who have no idea what I do for a living, no idea yeah. that I have a following, no idea I have any celebrity friends. It's they're just dog friends, and That's you know we we meet at the park and this dog park drama and gossip as is, is you hang out with any group of people. It's like any any situation, but uh, it's great, and and I'm I'm very social, and I and I take pride in um, making new friends all the time.
0: I, I am going to quote you uh, to to people as a health and wellness, you know, I, I'd be called like the fanatic, the nut, the whatever. I mean, that's such a big mm-hmm. part, but that you cited writing, not being as healthy as a bartender. I got to use that. Um, yeah. my, my friends it, it's and, true. My friends and family will pretty well, it is because I, I go out and do my big effort and then I spend the rest of the day on my butt. Uh, on the computer. So I'm trying now to, you know, every time I get up to my triggers, you know, go to the bathroom, go do some push ups, do some pull-ups, do some stuff. Cause otherwise I'm Mr. Workout guy for the short period of time. And then Mr. Sedentary the rest of the time.
1: Yeah. The big effort. I think the the way you framed it right there, that's, we have a lot of culture of that, which is like sit on your butt all day and do the big effort for 45 minutes an hour, which is great. But Um, People who have jobs that are constantly keeping them moving and getting steps and all of that significant, they're significantly better off, significantly better off than us. And um, yeah, a bartender, a bartender is definitely healthier than a writer.
0: (laughs) Well, my kids will love that. Um, (laughs) Mind, mental health, state of mind is next. And I'm thinking to our previous conversation about you coming to, kind of as we drill down past being whole and my word of fulfillment and you said, you know, Mm -hmm. peace. Um, so tell me, yeah, give me the core values as you look at your own mental health and state of mind.
1: Yeah. So, you know, your mental health to me, mental health is important as just as important as your physical health. So, you know, the same way I have a personal trainer, I have a therapist. So, you know, and that's somebody that initially I spent, two days a week with and then i went down to one day a week and now i'm at one day every two weeks so there's been a lot of progress um and it's somebody who is giving me dedicated time and focus and energy and has tools and um, but is not a stakeholder in my life and i think that's really important so they're not subconsciously Hmm. trying to get me to not subconsciously trying to recruit me onto whatever team they're on, which I think is really important. So I think it's important to have friends and family that care about you. But I want to take the pressure off of them to be there for me when I'm going through you know, heavy problems or, or challenges, which they may not have the tools for. If my car breaks down, I'm not calling my best friend. Right. You know, it's I call somebody who knows what they're doing in that in that world. Um, so that's that's how I look at it with a, a therapist or a mental health professional someone who knows what they're doing. Again, not the easiest thing to find somebody that that works with you and gels with you. It took me, I had to kiss a few toads before I found my prince, you know, uh, as the saying goes. Um, but that is a huge priority. And then also, you know, the same way, you know, healthy eating starts at the grocery store, not in the kitchen. You got to keep that stuff out of the kitchen. Um, I'm mindful of what impacts my mental health on a daily basis. And, um, Access to to new social media definitely does that. So for the past couple of years, <clears throat> my social media was on autopilot. I had assistance. I, we created a system of what to post, and it was content endlessly, endless content that had already been created, and they would be posting it. I didn't even have social media on my phone. I've only recently reinstalled it on my phone because I'm on, doing book book promo and I have to be a lot more engaged with it. um But you know, in a couple of months, when this when this campaign ends um i'm i'm envisioning social media going back to autopilot i'll have done a gang of podcasts and take those clips and put them up there um as well as something i learned recently from a friend is to take color off your phone you know so my phone having a phone in black and white Hmm. um just again reducing just some of the dopamine that comes from looking at screens um and again, it's not—it's not perfect. Even you know, even when I don't have social media on my phone, I catch myself on Google reading crappy headlines for right. crappy news and it learning right. my algorithm who I'm actually looking up and what have you. So I think it's just about reducing it, but realizing that that has a huge impact. Um, I have, in terms of friendships, I don't have any friendships of obligation. I don't hang out or spend time with anybody I don't want to in any capacity. Um, I, I I learned a long time ago by reverse engineering successful moments in my life that none of it came from networking or pretending to be somebody's friend who could provide me an opportunity all the big things ended up happening organically or through my continual effort and chipping away until you know i meet the right people and good things happen that way or you know the audience connects with what i do so i don't and And this is something I really pay attention to because during the pandemic I was in Toronto, my immediate circle of friends were all real estate agents, and I realized they spent a lot of time doing that, being everybody's friend, being yeah. available for everybody, befriending a client, hoping that it'll lead to a sale and and seeing how much that took a toll on them and um They try to rope me in sometimes, like, hey, we're all going to this dinner, come through. I'm like, I don't know who this person is. Why is this person here? Like, well, they're a prospective client. And realizing that that's not something that's, I I don't think that's really good for your mental health. And, you know, I think that leads to a lot of work hard, play hard, um, which isn't something that I'm super interested in being a part of. So, you know, being mindful of the people I keep around me, um, even including my family, understanding that some people in my family, you know, can say they know the exact words to ruin my day sometimes so you know minimizing communication with them um and 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 putting myself around people that energize me and 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 activities that energize me and, um, and recognizing the difference
0: i'm guessing that that same perspective is what's going to relate to the next category here which is work career and business as you have transition into the life of an artist is that fair to give you that as you've done that that you're looking at back to the pathways aspect what are the pathways to your own inspiration and peace Uh, so tell me about work uh, your your vocation and what your priority values are there yeah
1: I think that's been a challenge because it's um you know I used to be a school teacher and then I quit my job thinking I had opportunities in the art world and those opportunities didn't come to fruition. So I ended up being unemployed and in debt. And um, I had to spend, you know, I've been, I've been a full-time artist now since 2011. So for over a decade now, and the first from 2011 to 2015 was me just getting out of debt. So all I was focused on was money. How can I make money? How can I monetize my creativity? Where is the money? what are the money making opportunities um and then i think i I got to a zero bank account at the end of 2014 and then 2015 is when i started you know all the things that i learned over those years um you know started turning the bank account green but what i realized was you know very often you know the art that feeds your soul and the art that feeds your bank account may be two different things (laughs) you know you partner People that people in organizations that are gonna pay you for your creativity are often mm-hmm. they themselves are often the least creative people and that's why they're hiring you and to, to deal with their to deal with them and, and their opinions is a is a challenge in, in many capacities. So it's, it's definitely been a tug of war where it's like, okay, you know, I've graduated past starving artists, but then you move to Los Angeles and you see how much how much the scale could be even bigger. Yeah, you know, there's so many options, and you and you're watching people making the investments and in teams, uh, watching people make investments into into their businesses and in, in a way to scale it above and beyond. Um, I think the big thing I've learned now is, you know, there's two tax brackets: there's enough and not enough. And once you've once you're out of the not enough tax bracket, you know, and when I mean not enough, I mean survival. So once you're out of, you know, you you can survive whatever that is for whatever city you live in in the world um adding more zeros to the net worth won't have a long-term impact on 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 your happiness and the real reward for winning at any game is that you get to keep playing the game so be very mindful of what games you're playing so you know i have the option of doing things on social media to get way more attention um and it would probably work. But if I did that, then I would just, uh, the real reward is having to keep doing that. And I, I continually ask myself, is that what you want to do? Yeah. I, and I keep thinking to myself, I, I'm i in a uniquely privileged situation where I can choose what I want to do. And I'm in a financial situation where I can start focusing on planting seeds that don't have to come to fruition for a couple of years yeah. because, you know, the bills are paid. Um and to mindfully ensure I'm doing things that I want to do. I don't, you know, artists don't retire. They just die. And I, you know, I, I plan on doing this until my last breath. So I want to ensure that I'm doing things that bring me energy. And, um, I want people to find me for the right reasons. Yeah. Versus just have people find me. So, you know, so when it comes to work, it really is about approaching this, um, from a position of focusing on what I can do uniquely, outsourcing what anybody else could do, um, and finding a tribe of people who, who share my enthusiasm towards it. So if I'm the guy who's, who's done the 10,000 hours or 10,000 trial and errors in the writing department, find somebody who's done the same for the marketing or somebody who's done the same for the business management or what have you. In yeah. um, that way I can focus on what I do. And the services and, and the value that I provide, um, because it it does get hard. We we all identify the gaps in our lives in relation to whoever's in front of us. Yeah, and we're like, oh, they have all these things set up. I should have all of that too. And oftentimes, it's like, do you really want that? Because their do you want their day to day life just because they have, you know, a few extra zeros on their bank account? You know, at the end of the day, I understand that. Um peace of mind, a healthy body, and, 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 and peace in your social and family life are are rarely impacted by your net worth. And um, those are much more impacted by your effort. Yeah. And um, I'm in the city where full of people who could afford therapists and don't. <laughs> so I, I definitely understand that having a financial advantage isn't always an advantage. And um, so for me, I'm really trying to play a game where The goal of the game isn't to win. The goal of the game is to keep playing. So make sure you're playing the right games.
0: I'm curious, as you started off, left teaching, not making money, and then you start to, where did you first monetize being an artist? Um.
1: Getting, uh, I think, getting funding for projects. Uh, So I learned about grants. Uh, I think that might have been the first place. So in Canada, there's, you know, artist grants that you could apply for. I think that was one of the first things I did. And then I met an artist out here in California who was explaining to me about when you do shows, say yes to every show. and Do it for free because your show is an advertisement for what you're selling at the back of the room. Um, so learning about merchandise and uh, I designed clothes, but actually the first book was that, that, that was the idea behind the first book was what could I give my audience for $20 that felt more valuable than a t-shirt that's going to get messed up in the wash. Um, and that's what I did with my first book on learn. I self-published it. So, um, understanding that the art isn't the product, the art is the marketing for a product. Um, that was a, that's what I slowly realized. And, and the, I think the first products were t shirts. Uh, and then um, it took about two years. But then I wrote a book. And um, then the book took a life of its own where people came for the book more than the music and thought they were coming for live speaking while I was performing music. Um, and then realizing that, you know, live performances, there's, 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 there's availability there. Uh, obviously, there's, there's money in content creation, whether you're talking about what you can make off of you know those five second youtube ads um and then as my social media grew also getting opportunities to be an influencer um and working with different organizations that way and then um also as an artist you know i got casted for a uh i got recommended and then casted for an apple commercial Hmm. and then you know that was from a monetary side fantastic also from a creative side that was the biggest company i'd ever worked with that like gave me no creative direction they said yes to every idea i had and i, I learned i learned i eventually learned that they were going to say yes to every idea i had and then they were going to edit it the way they wanted ah. so you know, we, we we shot a commercial and they did like 59 edits of the oh. commercial and then said you're not in 11 we don't know which one we're putting out and then i eventually was still in it and it was the first shot on iphone commercial in canada at the time and um yeah, so you you start to find you know creativity is used to communicate a message and uh, art art is advertising for what matters, but then very often artists have to use their talents to advertise stuff that may or may not matter. But that's that's how we pay our bills.
0: What is the primary revenue for you now with all you're involved in? Um, hmm.
1: um, the book deals are getting really big, so I, I, I would say that. Um, and then, um, yeah, and there's been, there's been opportunities in the audio space as well, um, that I've been exploring, but, uh, um, and I get, and I get, and I, and I make money to do stuff live and I'm very selective with the influencer stuff. I'm sure if I did more of that, I'd, I'd probably make a lot more money and I can, that might be my primary source of income, but I don't, I might partner with a company once or twice a year max. Yeah. Um so i guess i would say the book i I've, I've been lean, i've been selfishly chasing slow art so i've been looking at what's you know i don't want to be a content creator i don't want to be posting every single day on social media so I'm like what's slower than that mm-hmm. what's slower than that is the, the books and releasing a book every 2 to 3 years is considered fast mm-hmm. at this point for an author so I'm like i like that um and now i've also the reason i moved to los angeles is i signed with an agent for tv and film writing so now i've been exploring that world um writing pilots and having meetings and trying to get something like that made and if you if everybody says yes to you on that journey it'll still take five years to be, to build something so selfishly what i what i realize is that you know the, the the slow art is better from from my soul but also um it ends up being more lucrative uh financially as well um so i'm trying to make slow art and make slow money
0: when you just to talk on, on money, which you have been here a little bit, but when you look at that and look at the value, did you already state what it primarily is? It's doing what will enable me to keep doing what I want. Does that encapsulate it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm also, you know, through therapy, started recognizing how much of scarcity mindset I have being a child of an immigrant yeah. and, and kind of being raised with my mom's voice in my head. Um, a good example is, um, you know, when I first got my puppy. Who wasn't cheap? Um, I you know I bought a, a dollar store leash because I was teaching her to walk off leash. So I just got this long leash and I just let her drag it through the park while she walked. So if I needed to stop her, I could just step on the leash. My mother saw the leash in its raggedy condition and then made me one. She made me a leash. She, she sews. And then so now I use that leash. I use I use this handmade leash that my mom made and it's not pretty in any capacity but my mom made it yeah and and my puppy tries to chew through it all the time so it's 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 really mangled but this i realized my mom always makes things she tries to if she she needs something she tries to make it um not understanding and, and learning later that you know time is worth more than money she's spending more time making things than than she would if she just purchased it. Right. Um, and as an entrepreneur, I had to learn to value my time. Um, so I look at money as time. So when I was in survival mode and I didn't have enough money, every paycheck represented, oh, this is enough money for a week. Right. Oh, this is enough for a month. This is enough for two months. And then the beauty of any entrepreneurial journey is that you're, it's, you're not salaried. So your income is never like this. It's like this. And... Um, you know, eventually, you know, as I said, I got, I had $80,000 of debt in 2011. And then I got to zero in 2014. And this meant, you know, selling all my stuff, moving back in with my parents, reducing all my costs. So over those took three years, three, four years to get out of debt. But then by the time, by the end of 2016, I had about a year's worth of money in my bank account. Oh. where I knew it. So because I was learning different ways to earn it. So um, I was incrementally earning. So now I, I look at money as time. So it's uh, not even just the ability to do what I want. It's like, oh, I have enough money to pay all my bills and all my operating costs for six months or a year or two years or three years. And then learning that if it's too much, if you have too much money, if you have five years worth of money, that impacts your your drive. And, you know, atrophy starts to develop. And if you have too little money, then you're just living in constant anxiety. So finding your sweet spot, finding your quota, as my as my friend puts it, finding your quota and making purchases accordingly. So, you know, don't purchase a car that's too cheap. And now you're, you know, all your cost of living is so low that you're not, there's no fire under your butt to get up and do anything. Don't buy everything so expensive that you're just in constant anxiety trying to keep yeah. your lips above water find your, your quota, find out where it is. And that's going to always slide and move as you start to earn more. So I've been looking at it as time. And now I've been kind of changing that. So now I was like, Oh, I have enough money to pay my bills for two years. Now like, okay, well let's change that. Maybe we'll bring it down to six months and spend more money and maybe hire some more people Mm -hmm. or, you know, do stuff like that. I'm not, um, the most, um, you know, I don't need a lot of, like actual personal stuff i just i, I and i've learned that and even with like a car Like I, this is the first year i had to purchase a car living in los angeles i was always living in a city and taking public transit and walking and even that like i had a i had an ideal car but during the the chip shortage it was hard to get um and i was renting whatever cars the car dealerships had and they were horrible i got something in the middle and i'm happy i'm like it's fast enough to weave through traffic and go up and down the hills and get on an on-ramp and an off-ramp but it's not so flashy that I have to worry about driving to a bad neighborhood in L.A. and getting right. carjacked. And I think it's, it's always about finding that sweet spot. And now I've been flirting with the idea of moving to New York, which in itself is just a, it's a super expensive city. And, and as you can see in the back, I live in a large space. And I was like, okay, well, how will I be able to live in a space this large in that city? So it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll make me a little bit more uncomfortable financially. But I think that's also necessary to keep myself moving.
0: Last one's achievements, humble. Just looking at the again the values that you have as you look forward towards. Well, backward to the ones you're proud of, and forward the ones that are worth you invest in your time.
1: I think the the big one for me is, as I said, being a full time artist throughout this journey for the past ten years. Um, I did not lose any friends along the way. Hmm. All my all my childhood friends are still my friends. Um, And I've only made new friends. Um, And then being able to, you know, there were certain people I met on this journey who gave me couches to sleep on, put money in my pocket, made introductions, you know, gave me a shot, um, offered me some service or value that I've been able to, that I'm still in contact with, still spend time with, that I've been able to just do nice things for, you know, put them in position to do something they want to do or take them to a basketball game or take them to a nice dinner or you know get a video of their favorite celebrity sending them a message whatever just doing something nice and kind uh, for them that's something that i'm I'm really proud of um, because you know most of the people in my 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 life my family my childhood friends they're all they're living much more traditional lives and and uh, a big life isn't something that they think of so to be able to give them a glimpse of it take them to an event, let them see something that they may not, have, they may not normally uh, see um, has been really cool. It's been a really cool kind of uh, thing. I got my parents to meet their childhood, their favorite movie star when they were when growing up. And uh, this old dude out of India named Deminder, and uh, he, was, he was in Canada for an event. And then I was able to pull strings and make that happen, and they got to have a one-on-one tea T- drink tea with him one-on-one you know without time limit until they got overwhelmed and said we should leave we're, we're bothering him And he didn't say anything he's like no stay as long as you just want and uh knowing that like that's a bigger highlight than any paycheck or any any kind of personal award or something that I've received for myself is definitely realizing that anybody will get used to anything they have and you know I've, I've gotten used to attending events and, and doing certain things and travel and all of that and then being able to do that for people I care about, realizing that this is this will only be you know too far and few in between, and even funny things. I got to um, just an example: my sister, her boyfriend. I guess you know couples have hall passes. His his hall pass was uh, Charlize Theron, and I ended up hanging out with her at an event for a few days and getting comfortable enough with her to tell her that. And then she sent him a very mean spirited hilarious video <laughs> about i heard i heard on um, your hall pass and uh you you freak i'm going to you know report you to the police It was it was, it was a really funny video yeah. and, and you know and it was clear she was she was joking but just to even have that for him to be like this is somebody that was so far away from me that i was able to put on my list yeah as somebody that my girlfriend would let me cheat with and now i have a video of her being like completely human and funny And and making fun of me so I like just small things like that knowing that he'll keep that and share that with his friends and and being able to do that very quickly and my sisters all have their little celebrity crushes that I've been able to like send them get them videos of and things like that make me really happy when I think about that versus um, sometimes the process of this I realize I enjoy that more than even like holding my book in my hand for the first time because you spend so much time working on that you're just glad it's done there's a relief and that stuff kind of brings me joy. So, um, being able to put other people in positions to, to live a bigger life has been probably my biggest success.
0: Thank you, man. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I feel like you, uh, yeah. In the con- you've given me a new context, even for this segment of the show that I call values and habits, uh, motives and habits that it's, uh, I may even ask people share me, share with me the pathways. Uh, in hmm. these categories, that you find, well, for your context, peace and love. Um, yeah. Thank you. It was a gift and uh, inspired me. Thank you, Humble.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Okay, friends, again, you can find Humble the Poet's new book, How to Be Loved Anywhere, and find him at his website or social media at HumbleThePoet. The website is .com. Thanks, as always, for choosing to tune into the Self-Helpful Podcast. It'd be great if you left a review. Best thing is just keep the conversation going. Talk about it at dinner or during your workout or as you're chatting with someone. Talk about what stood out to you, what you're grappling with, what inspired you, what frustrated you. I sincerely hope most of all that I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others.